they're out there. I want to believe. All that stuff. It's funny, many of you will be aware of this and many won't, but UFOs and the idea around UFOs uh, have sort of had a big rebrand in recent years. Since the Roswell incident in 1947, the official line of which is, is that balloon debris was recovered, though people believe it was a flying saucer. Well, since that, UFOs became this sort of kitsch and new age, almost spiritual belief. There was the X-Files that sort of added a geeky TV layer to the UFO saga. And anyone who believed was seen as a bit of a tinfoil hat nutjob. Trump said he'd released the secret files on aliens when he became president, but then didn't. Perhaps because they don't exist or maybe something shadier. Recently, the US Navy released loads of images and videos of real UFOs. That is real unidentified flying objects. It appears that the Navy and the Air Force bear witness to objects in the sky all the time that they can't explain, can't work out, don't know what it is. So that rebrand includes changing the name of UFOs to UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. It means the exact same thing, but has less of the X-Files, Roswell, New Age, hippie stigma. So what's really going on? What are the theories around some of these objects? Personally, I can't see how something intelligent enough to traverse thousands of light years of space to get here would then sort of accidentally leave the lights on or whatever it might be, or, you know, turn off the invisibility uh, thing and reveal themselves for a few moments. So if they are here and wish to go unnoticed, then you'd think that they'd just succeed at that. That said, what the hell do I know? Other theories are that these are man-made spying objects from Russia or China, or just parts of our planet that we are yet to understand. Here to shed some light and discuss the theories and things he's seen is Ryan Graves, a former lieutenant in the US Navy, an FA-18F pilot, he'll explain what those letters mean, who served for a decade, including two deployments in Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Inherent Resolve. More pertinently, Ryan was the first active duty pilot to come forward publicly about regular sightings. He has been featured in the New York Times, the History Channel, and on 60 Minutes. He is the first chair of the UAP Community of Interest, which has 30,000 members from the aerospace industry. Wow. This episode, like all my Saturday ones, was originally filmed as part of the live four-hour Atwood Unleashed show on Sean Atwood's YouTube channel, where I'm the co-host. So I field questions from audience members at some points during this. You can watch it live Wednesday evenings to go follow Sean Atwood, give him some love. He has an audio as well, audio podcast, the Sean Atwood True Crime channel, where you'll also find the rest of this show. For now, get in touch with me on andrewgold underscore OK on Twitter or Instagram and let me know. Do you believe? Are they out there? Also, you can see the light, you know, see all the YouTube videos are doing. You can comment underneath. Everyone's commenting there. It's a good place to keep up with me. Coming up are episodes with George Monbiot about climate change and Annie Ikba on child sacrifice. We've been trying to fit that one in for some time and it should be soon. But now... Now you're on the edge of UFOs, UAP and alien invaders with fighter pilot Ryan Graves.
How are you doing, Ryan? What's going on? Hey, Andrew. Nice to see you. Yeah, where are you talking to us from today? Oh, I'm just about uh, an hour north of Boston, uh, over in the New Hampshire area. Oh, it's supposed to be United really States. lovely around there. Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice time this uh, this time of year. It's getting in the fall. Oh, nice. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, it's supposed to be quite beautiful over there. And tell me, you know, give me a bit of a rundown about your background. Yeah, sure. You know, so my name's Ryan Graves. Um, I come from a pretty small town and uh, I ended up going to school for engineering. Um, I uh, immediately stopped doing engineering when I left uh, college and I elected to join the Navy uh, to go try to fly fighter jets. Uh, I, I really uh, didn't think um, the career path I had set, set myself up on um, was something I, I really wanted to do. So I, I no kidding, just kind of changed my major and, and decided to uh, pursue aerospace uh, educationally uh, to help my chances uh, after college of, of getting a, a flying slot. So whether it helped or not, I don't know. But, um, but either way, it worked out uh, in my favor. I ended up uh, in the Navy, U.S. Navy flying the uh, FA-18 Foxtrot Super Hornet. And what all that means is a uh, yeah. it's a, the F and the A stands for fighter attack. So we do both air to air and air to surface type combat. Uh, the 18 mm. is um, I actually don't know where that comes from, but it's just part <laughs> of the delineation. But um, and then the F, however, is um, for a two seat Super Hornet model. A through D are the uh, older Hornets, and right, then they right. got all upgraded to the new Super Hornets. Uh, the E's are single seats and the F's are two seats. Let's right. stop there for a quick second. Gotcha. That, that's pretty fascinating, though. I mean, this stuff that's a different world to me, and I, I'm really, you know, interested. I've seen all the movies and things about <laughs> fighter jets and stuff like that. Tell me um, a little bit about, um, you know, interest, attention, and action building across government and industry. We're talking about UAPs and stuff today, right? Yeah, we certainly can. Uh, so, you know, in my time in the Navy, um, you know, myself and others in our squadron, we were we were seeing objects, um, I should call them radar returns that we weren't expecting to see. And it became a safety of flight issue. We, we kept seeing them uh, and they were getting so close to our aircraft that we were, they actually split, split our aircraft and we almost had a near midair with one of them. And wow. that's happened um back in 2015 off the East Coast, and that continues to happen today. Uh, even just as recently as the last um, congressional hearing, public hearing on UAP, they talked about there being 11 year misses just in the past recent reporting period. And so it's, right. it's still happening. Wow, I, I, and I just realized it's not UAPs because it's phenomena, isn't it? The plural of phenomenon. So it's just UAPs, the plural, isn't it? I don't know which I use, so. <laughs> you just said <laughs> UAP, I and I was like, there's yeah. no S on the end of it. And I thought, oh, no, but that's right, because it wouldn't be uh, unidentified, what is it, aerial phenomenas. It would be phenomenon, so it is UAP. That's correct, yeah, you I guess did, so. You did it right. That's pretty cool. So <laughs> these things actually, what, what they, you nearly had a mid-air collision. What does one of these things look like? Yeah, so it, it was described as a, as a dark gray or black cube. Uh, that was about, you know, and this is an estimate, but, you know, somewhere in the, the 8 to 15 foot range, uh, which is a loose estimate. Uh, and it was encompassed in a, in a sphere. And the, the kind of point or the apex um, of that cube 
appeared to be touching kind of the inner surface of that sphere, right? So it was just kind of like, it wasn't like intersecting the sphere in any way. It was just kind of right at the tip. Um, and there was nothing outside of that sphere. I don't know what a clear sphere looks like, right? If it's perfectly clear, you wouldn't know it's there. So, you know, is it translucent? Was it hazy? I don't know, because most of the time when we would fly up to see them, we couldn't. You know, our radars were telling us exactly where it should be. Uh, our cameras are slave to our radar, and it's showing us energy coming from that spot in the sky, IR energy. And all our sensors are synced to our helmet, right? So our, and even our eyes as we look out. And so I see a box exactly where to look. It's probably not my camera, but I see a box exactly where I need to look uh, to to pinpoint that object as I come to emerge with it. And that's something we do all the time. And yet, uh, more often than not, simply couldn't see anything there, even though our cameras were showing us something. And this is something, so when, when you did see it, you saw this yourself with your own eyes. No, I didn't. I tried and I tried. But our squadron, uh, we had several members that were seeing them inside our squadron. And, um, you know, it's kind of hit or miss. We, I talked to many of our squadron and they're like, yeah, you know, I go fly by them and I couldn't actually see them. But uh, we would all see them on our radar. We see them all in our FLIR. But physically with our eyeballs, uh, for some reason, uh, it was very hard to do. It's funny how we've all changed a little bit how we feel about it. I mean, could you have imagined that you'd be talking about this 20 years ago? I suppose you'd be laughed out the room. And now now we're sort of quite open to it. Yeah, you know, for me, open to what, right? That's For me, I'm still pretty agnostic. All I know is that something's out there. Um, and for us, it's very pragmatic because, like I said, we're flying by these things. And one, I don't think this is all necessarily one particular thing, right? So, you know, if tomorrow, you know, someone wraps one of these up in a net and pulls it, pulls it in front of CNN, uh, you know, I don't think that solves the entire issue here. So we need to make sure that we treat this as a potential national security threat because that is a, a very uh, susceptible target to be up there uh, watching our tactics of our of our fighter aircraft. Um, that's a very sensitive area. So, mm -hmm. um we have to be cognizant that, you know, is part of what this could be. And then as we look at, you know, the other options, when we, when we cross some of those options off the list, you know, we have to actively engage in the new way because we don't really have a great language for talking about it. Like you just said, right. UAP versus UAPs. Well, it's always a UAP. It's always UAP. If we negate all air traffic around the object, what do you call it? Yeah. Still, it's still just a UAP. What if we, you know, account for all celestial objects and air traffic and, something else you know it's still just a uap it's one piece of evidence away from starting back to scratch so kind of building a communication framework so that people can plant flags and actually move the science forward over time jake forder in the audience asks have pilots been ordered to shoot down uap i've heard rumors of that not that i'm aware of um and when i say rumors i mean probably the same rumors that other uh, you know that jake here is um heard uh, within the Navy itself, when we're operating off the East coast, we are training for our expeditionary deployments. That's really what we do in the Navy. We don't de defend the coast. Um, we, we train there. So we're not actively carrying missiles out there on a regular basis. So mm -hmm. for the cases that I'm referring to, it would have to, it would be absolutely exceptional to go through that, to make that happen. It's not as easy as just deciding to one day. Hmm. Got a question from A Nexus. What do pilots think they are since they seem to focus on military targets? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, spoiler alert, we don't know. But 
Um, when we started looking into this at first, we thought it was a radar malfunction. And we initially treated it like that until we just happened to get close enough to notice the, uh, the camera actually picking up energy there. Um, and so when that happened, then we realized it was, you know, likely a physical object, not a radar glitch. But what was it? Was it UA, you know, was it a drone? Was it <clears throat> trash? I mean, who knows, right? We didn't go right to uh, UAP at this point. Just didn't have enough information. But as we kind of built a, a better understanding of, of how long these things would be airborne and how many would be out there and the fact that they would just be out there all the time and, you know, of course, the shape and the, the flight mechanics, um, we never really, you know, got to a conclusion of what it is, but we did knock some things off the list, right? Uh, we are feeling pretty confident that it's not a secret U.S. project, you know, so long as it's operating anywhere near the confines of the law, right? We've had our... Uh, our leadership say that, uh, and you know, even just as as soon as a, a few days ago, the, the Secretary of the the U.S. Navy, um, you know, said he he wasn't concerned that much about UAP because he was concerned about China, um, and that he felt that UAP should be uh, in the realm of science and should be studied uh, by the scientific channels, and so. What I hear there is that, you know, that's another another potential candidate being crossed off the list. And so mm -hmm. we need to start refocusing our efforts more into that new framework to understand what, what we're looking at. Yeah. So it sounds like they don't really want you getting involved. They want scientists to somehow figure it out. Well, um, me personally. Mm, or like you or like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. What what like <laughs> they want the scientists or they don't want the, they want the fighter jet pilots to sort it out? Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, the these guys and girls that are up there flying these flights, they don't mm. have the right tools or um, the training to sure. investigate this. They're not scientists, and you know when you're flying a fighter jet, it's kind of like falling out of the sky very slowly in a sense, right? You're you're always running out of energy, so you don't have a lot of time to kind of go mess around. It would be a whole thing, and there's better aircraft for that type of investigation than fighter aircraft. Um, mm. And, you know, I agree with um, with the general sentiment from the Air Force, which is um, there are very pressing military uh, concerns that are the responsibility of the Department of Defense and all its branches. Um, and they're not a scientific organization. Um, sure. With that being said, they do do some work, right? So it's a bit of a, a, a misnomer to say that. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, I'll just stop there. I think I answered. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I, I understand. But it, but it does feel like it's now just something like uh, among you guys or among the U.S. Navy people and the, the fighter jet pilot people. It's like, is it just? I suppose you said agnostic, but is it sort of understood that it's very possible that these are, let's just say it, you know, something from a different planet or something not not of us? I'm seeing the report from the. Uh, you know, some of the reports from the uh, the aviators that are reporting this that led to that report that came out last year uh, with the 144 cases. You can tell the pilots don't know what they're dealing with. I mean, you, it's very clear that this isn't just a balloon drifting by, you know, the, we're pretty good at our jobs. Um, uh, contrary to um, 
some of the suggestions about our inability to detect objects and whatnot. But you know, when we're up there. A lot of uh, there's a lot of noise that we're filtering through automatically. So when something is sticking out on a FLIR footage or something like that, although it may not be remarkable necessarily in its form, it you know it's been filtered quite a bit uh, through a lot of experts um, to actually make it interesting. Uh, and there's no better experts to figure out, you know, what's going on in the sky than the people that we are, you know, training specifically to do that. I mean, that's essentially the job of a, of a fighter pilot is to clear the air in front of him or her and, and shoot something down if they need to. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just, it's, oh, I really want to know what it is or what's going on or what the several different things are. Um, have you given much time to, to speculating in your sort of, you know, give me your wildest, your wildest sort of dream scenario yeah i'll tell you what my dream scenario is somewhat playing out because um what what we have going on right now is a, a new push to really understand this topic uh in a very neutral sense and not just from the normal channels um that it comes from but from the outs from the inside out with industry uh participating uh, so I'm working with the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. Uh, it's the largest um, consortium of aerospace professionals, 30,000 plus members, 86 countries. Um, and within that organization, uh, I chair a, a community of interest on UAP. Uh, and it is industry first people that have been, you know, with NASA and, you know, the Lockheeds and the Boeings and the academic institutions that focus on aerospace topics. And they're, you know, they're all in, they're very interested. Uh, and so it's really uh, different in the sense of who's really getting brought into the conversation now. And it's really kind of coming from the engineering and scientific focus first. Hmm. So I but think we can figure it out. Yeah. I think we can actually figure it out. That's the thing to answer your question is like, this isn't going to be a mystery forever. Like we're going to get, we're going to get some answers. We're going to put the energy into it. It's not an impossible problem. It's just had complications and we're uniquely situated now with the kind of democratization of technology where you know people can launch a satellite into space for you know half a million bucks that was crowdsourced and you know potentially get their own data so it's it's reaching a point where um, the gatekeeper can't necessarily keep the gate shut hey it's andrew if you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. 
Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Uh, if they are doing that, and, that, and that's yeah. another point, if they are trying to do it. So, I mean, I guess when I'm saying wildest dreams, I'm sort of hoping for you to say, well, I think it could be like an alien from the planet Zorg that's sent like some weird <laughs> stuff to look at us. I mean, does that stuff play in your mind at all? It does. I mean, it's fun. I mean, I'm just like anyone else. It, it would be super cool. And I, I just try to separate it. And that's what we do as a, as pilots, really. We, uh, we kind of put things in the buckets and we deal with it when we need to. And we were dealing with these things on a daily basis. So we would put them into the safety category and we would just um, go about our mission and just be sure to not go around that area. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's really no different um, in this topic. We have to be careful that we don't let you know, our interest guide, our, uh, our objective view of reality, uh, because that is a big temptation. And in a sense, we've been uh, tempted to do so with our media on this topic for the past 50 years or so. Uh, we've been kind of trained or um, I just say trained. I don't mean that literally, of course, but uh, we've been trained with our media to view uh, UFOs or UAP or aliens or whatever you think this is in different ways. And it comes with a lot of baggage. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've got um, questions here. Uh, I will get on to Ray J and Agent Orange's questions, but I want to stick with like the objects and stuff like the objects uh, for now. And we've got one, another one from Anexus saying, has human-made technology been ruled out? I don't think it has. Uh, I don't think it ever will be, honestly, because I think that within our airspace, there's always going to be some nefarious actor most likely doing something they shouldn't. And they might even take advantage of this, this whole, you know, I'll call it confusion, but fog of war in a sense to, you know, perhaps um, put sensors somewhere or to probe our ability to detect certain things or to uh, push certain directions to get certain information released for their own benefit over someone else. Right. So it becomes an attack vector, just like anything else. And so in a sense, I don't think we ever will uh, be able to rule it out. Uh, but I think we should do our best to rule out uh, the largest groups of humans that we can, right? So countries and certain actors and categories and things of that nature. And we can say, all right, it's probably not that. There's always going to be a little bit of noise. But, you know, generally speaking, we want to, you know, make those conclusions if we can, I think. Good question. 
Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. Thank you, um, A Nexus. And I suppose, I mean, because people uh, sometimes speculate about it being something from China or Russia, but then I've heard other people say, oh, well, the technology is just too advanced for something to just disappear like that and suddenly appear again. Because if there's people are seeing, so how does it work if they're seeing on a on a radar like a box or a sphere or something like that, and then it's there? Do, do they would they have had to have seen it enter the country's airspace or is it suddenly there and suddenly not anymore in a way that we can't explain yeah that's a that's a great question too and that's one of the things that uh our hardware factors group within the aiaa or the community of interest uh that i that i work uh that i run uh that we're looking into right because at the end of the day like i said an f-18 is is not a scientific instrument and the sensors are not calibrated for you know taking in uh, analog information of any type and, you know, being able to uh, portray on the screen what that really means, right? It's to operate in very, you know, restricted environments in a sense. Um, and how information is displayed to me after it gets received is important too. Is it combined with other data? Is it filtered out because it's too fast? What's the refresh rate? Uh, what's the scanning volume of the radar, you know, compared to the speed? Yeah. So that will actually make it look like it disappeared off my radar versus, you know, moving quickly. Um, and those are wow. those are the type of th engineering questions that, you know, we're going to look to answer and to uh, work through um, within that mm -hmm. community. Do you have much of a time frame of when, like how you can figure out some of those questions? Yeah, you know, we're, we're a growing group. We have about 35 now and we have essentially um, a number of uh, opportunities to engage in in. Um, just say new, new, new problem solving uh, of that nature. And really it's going to be a continuous process. We'll likely have uh, a quarterly report that will start going out to the general public uh, to explain our progress and our lines of effort uh, to give everyone a better understanding. Uh, at the end of this month, uh, we'll actually be more broadly communicating our existence and we'll start sharing some of the membership and their experience mm. so people can understand, you know, just how, you know, I mean, our hardware factors group or so there, between six, any random six you grab, there's probably about 300 years of NASA experience between them, you know, so wow. these are people that have been uh, around for a while, but there's also, you know, non-traditional people coming in from the tech industry that uh, help with communications and really making sure that we can fight the skeptics uh, and the, that kind of skeptical attitude that stops people from communicating aviation safety hazards. Because at the end of the day, if, if people don't feel comfortable reporting it, they're not going to, and that's how accidents happen. So yeah, from what I can gather, the situation you guys are in is that you, you know, it's a safety hazard, as you say, you don't know what it is, you're not saying it's aliens or whatever. But because people might think that UAP or UFO means aliens, they might not report it, and they might be fearing ridicule or whatever. Is that that is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And for example, right now in the military, there's a, a bit of discipline, in the military and kind of just getting the job done. And um, you know, we've made a lot of good strides in reporting and identifying just the severity of the situation with the, the 400 or so cases that were reported uh, in the, the public hearing. Uh, it was 144 initially in the UAP task force report. And then during the, the Congressional Intelligence Committee hearing that happened about six to eight months after that, it went from 144 to 400 cases, right? Uh, and I'm not saying that they're expanding per se, but the reporting is increasing. And so we're starting to get a sense of the problem. And, um, you know, 
that that existed whether we acknowledged it or not, right? It's all about talking about it now that enabled it. Mm. And I don't think that in the commercial sector, in the general aviation sector, they have that freedom and, you know, they're not reporting it and, you know, they're not having a problem with it, right? They're not seeing it. They're not reporting it. It doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist there yet, right? If it does for our military, yeah. it certainly does for them. I've got a question from Ray J. Um, has Ryan worked with Elizondo who got new videos released? I uh, I emailed uh, Lou when I saw the New York. Well, I didn't email Lou. I emailed the To the Stars Academy when I saw the New York mm. Times article from 2017. It popped up yeah. on my. We should phone explain who he is, by the, just now for those who don't know. Lou, is it Luis Elizondo? Yeah. 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 Do you, do you want to? Um, yeah, it'll, 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 I'll explain who he is as part of the story. It'll, it'll make on. sense. Um, yeah. And so um, I, I saw the, the gimbal video in that New York Times article and I was like, hey, I saw that video, you know, and I, I read the article and I looked in, I saw it to the Stars Academy and I, I sent him an email that essentially went to Lou who um, to explain who he is, you know, he um, ran a tip. Uh, which was essentially looking into this. That's my understanding. I never directly engaged with ATIP to answer that question. I think that was a direct question. Uh, but I did email Lou and say, hey, you know, I saw that video when it was taken. Um, I, of course, I would never tell you anything classified, but, you know, there is more to that video. Um, mm -hmm. So if you'd like to talk about it, you know, I'm happy to give you a, a little insight. Uh, and I never heard anything for four months, just not a, not a thing. And then Lou emailed me. Uh, and essentially kind of started the process of inviting me to do the unidentified uh, show, which involved me going to uh, the Senate Armed Service Committee and Senate Intelligence Committees uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, to communicate this issue. Those, so those were kind of two uh, tangential paths, or I should say parallel paths that were kind of happening. And that would really kind of be the extent of me working with Lou was that initial engagement. Wow, fascinating! It's all, it's all. I, I'm really interested to see how we're talking more openly about all of this. And there is a question, maybe with a slight conspiratorial tone, uh, from Verity Love, which is why would the government allow open communication about UAP or UFOs now when they've been hiding a file over 75 years? What's changed? Yeah, um, that's a question, right? Um, you know, I don't know. I people ask me all the time, "Do you trust Lou or do you trust this person?" My general, my general position is I'm not, you know, I'm not here to trust people. I'm here to, you know, find data and, and figure, figure this problem out. And, you know, my interactions with, with Lou were, were honest. And from my interactions with my experiences kind of behind the scenes on this topic, you know, everything that he said is checked out from my perspective. So, you know, I, that's not an answer to your question, but um, that's simply my interaction with him. Um, why the government would want to do this after 75 years, if we're going to use that date, um, 25 years, a long time, you know, that's, a, that's a generational shift. And at the end of the day, we're, our technology is increasing so fast that, um, you have to solve problems like this through democratized study and, and sciences, you know, data acquisition is huge and, and analysis of that data is, um, a big undertaking that requires massive compute. You know, all, all of these considerations that are defined by a current technological time make it incredibly, uh, an incredibly relevant time to, 
to move this into a public conversation, especially if there is a, a changing of the guard of sorts. And this is all just me talking here. You know, I don't actually know any, of course, but, you know, just kind of generally speaking, that was, that's one, you know, avenue, I would imagine. Yeah, I imagine, obviously, the 75 years is a reference to Roswell, the Roswell incident. Do, do you believe in that kind of thing? Do you believe that was a that was a UFO, that was an alien that landed? Yeah, again, you know, I, I don't believe, you know, I, I've, I'm aware of the incident and I'm aware of a lot of the contradictions, but there's simply not enough evidence to say whether, you know, something remarkable happened or not. I, my, 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 my heart tells me that, yes, you know, something, you know, pretty incredible happened there based off of, you know, everything that I understand about the situation, but I don't have that smoking gun somewhere that I can point to and say, you know, I know more so than anyone else on that topic, right? It's all just public knowledge that I have on that topic. Hmm. I'm going to ask a, a really conspiratorial question that from Agent Orange, which is uh, what stood out to you about plane protocols on 9-11? What hit the towers, plane or object? I mean, to me, it's it was clearly a, a couple of planes. Uh, yeah, that's that's um, that's what I saw when I was in high school. Yeah, yeah. Watching it. I think that's there's a lot of um, stuff about 9-11 that people think was, you know, the devil or something like that you know i can barely keep up with the uip stuff okay come on there's only so much <laughs> this, <laughs> no, I just, just there's yeah go on yeah, sorry my understanding of that situation is in line i would say with the mainstream historical understanding of that situation yeah i think that's uh probably the same for me yeah we've only got a couple minutes left um do you want to tell us where people you know can they support you can they follow you where, where would you like to send people yeah, you know, I, I've i been thinking about how I can kind of communicate this topic and this story in a way that um, is outside the quick sound bites and stuff. And actually, this is great talking with you now and just kind of being able to, to go on a bit about it. Um, mm. And so I recently created a, a sub stack that I'm going to be um, kind of just using to tell the just kind of have conversations like this, you know, with more people at once to kind of talk about the details I've solicited some uh, kind of like UAP Twitter community artists who um, are going to be providing like literal or artistic interpretations oh, of cool. various situations. So like, it's not just me trying to like trying to get close. I'm trying to get exactly as I can so that people aren't guessing. And um, of course, none of that's going to be paywall. I'm not looking to put that behind a paywall. Uh, if you want to support me, they can, they can subscribe to that and join the community discussion. Uh, but otherwise, um, that'll be out in the open. Uh, but the big thing is that we're gonna, I'm gonna be trying to host pilot to pilot interviews through that as well. So uh, I'm look, I'm gonna be trying to provide a, a place where uh, military or commercial general aviation aviators that have had these types of uh, incidents or, or situation with UAP and have a conversation at the at the pilot level, and then we can provide a bit of a debrief after that for the, for the non-experts in aviation to kind of better understand why that case was special. I think that's going to be really cool. So watch out for that guys. And thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you for coming on. This was really fascinating. Uh, and I like that you don't get too drawn either way, you know, or make conclusions without knowing all the science to it or whatever, you know, that's how I like to be as well. Uh, thanks for the great questions, everyone as well. Sorry, Matthew, I didn't get onto your mad sounding one about things I've never heard of, but I bet <laughs> I'm sure it is interesting because Matthew does ask uh, interesting questions and is a very interesting man. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Ryan. Have a lovely day. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Bye-bye. 
thank you to my guest Ryan Graves I think people will like him because he's smart doesn't jump to conclusions or go for conspiracy theories he just analyzes what he's seen it does indeed appear that there are unidentified objects in our skies it makes sense the skies are pretty big and there's all sorts of things there and hopefully we'll know soon enough what they are. Thanks to Sean Atwood for letting me use this in my podcast. It was originally part of the four-hour Wednesday evening live show we do on his YouTube channel, so do come along sometime. And thank you to Ash Meikle for organising it, the, the wonderful producer Ash. As for you guys, thank you for continuing to sign up to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Gold, to support this podcast. I really do appreciate it and love getting to meet you on there. Thanks for the reviews. There have been a few more American ones in recent weeks which the show desperately needs but today i've got one from germany to read out my former home of germany lived there for three years and love that country um i love all countries really i mean country's a country people are good aren't they um it is by someone called ono bruno i doubt that's their real name and the title is great five stars very interesting topics discussed with very interesting guests all in very clean english so i as a german can understand nearly everything well thank you very much oh no bruno really love that you're tuning in from lovely germany that's all for now everyone i'll see you next week when we're talking climate change and child sacrifice with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>